Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church Extras podcast based on the Matthew series with your host, Senior Pastor John Sauer. This is episode two. Thanks for joining us today. Hello, and welcome to Stonebridge Extras. I'm Pastor John, the Senior Pastor of Stonebridge Community Church. And Stonebridge Extras is a podcast series where we just look at a rabbit trail that I couldn't trace down in a sermon. We look at something extra from the passage that we're focused on. Different ideas, different concepts that we just couldn't get to in the actual passage. And during this series, we are looking at Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. The sermon that Jesus gives in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And last week, I focused on what's called the history of interpretation. The way that certain key figures in the history of the church have responded to the Sermon on the Mount. And I stayed with what are really the the biggest names in the history of theology in the church. We focused on what's called the teaching called the Didache. We mentioned Constantine the Emperor. We mentioned Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, Martin Luther, and John Calvin. And they all had slightly different takes on the Sermon on the Mount. The Didache and Augustine both believed that Christians were meant to follow the Sermon on the Mount, that it was something that we were to strive to. Thomas Aquinas had his distinguishes he distinguished between precepts and evangelical counsels. Martin Luther said that Christians are meant to follow it, but a certain Christian could be in a specific role or an office that might require them to violate one of Jesus' commandments from time to time. And John Calvin said that we can't just take Jesus' precepts and commandments in the Sermon on the Mount on their own, but we have to look at what's called the analogy of faith and judge them up against other scripture passages and use other scripture passages to determine how to live up into the Sermon on the Mount. So, now this history of interpretation, it doesn't stop at John Calvin. And I want to take this podcast to share my own views on this and my own responses and to look at some, some thoughts on the Sermon on the Mount since the time of John Calvin. But what I tend to focus on. And when I look at the Sermon on the Mount, what I come back to over and over again is that when you look at this text exegetically, I don't see any justification for believing that there are carve-outs or that the nuances that people have placed on the Sermon on the Mount, I don't think that they exist in Jesus's words. So in the Reformation, one of the focuses was to interpret Scripture with the plainest sense possible of the text. To not get too fancy in interpretations, but to look at what these words say, take that, and apply it. And if we do that with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we have to recognize there's no distinguishing for Jesus between counsels, and precepts. Jesus doesn't put different commandments in different categories, and he could have. I mean, in his day, teachers had different categories. So, Thomas Aquinas's distinction is one that is, to me, pretty clearly not in the text. 
The other thing that I find difficult is Luther's idea of an office or a role that you can be in that allows you then to, it basically frees you from not fulfilling Jesus's words. It makes you justified in ignoring Jesus's words. Maybe not ignoring, but in violating them. I just don't see that in what Jesus says. If Jesus had wanted that, if that was what Jesus had wanted his disciples to understand, he would have said that. Jesus would have very clearly said, turn the other cheek unless your office in the government doesn't allow you to do that. Turn the other cheek unless your role for the empire doesn't allow you to do so. I mean, Jesus would have had that concept there. It would have been available. The gospel writers would have thought of that. But we don't see any trace of that really in the Sermon on the Mount or in the Gospel of Matthew. So both of those distinctions seem to be ideas that are taken away from the Sermon on the Mount and planted into the Sermon on the Mount that don't make sense when you read it in the plainest sense. So I wrestle with those interpretations from from Calvin and Luther and Aquinas. And I think I tend more towards Augustine, which Augustine said essentially that that we're still to follow this, um, that we're, we're still to lift up the Sermon on the Mount, at least from what I can read of him, what I've read from him. That being said, we do have to recognize nobody is going to be able to follow the Sermon on the Mount perfectly. Nobody is going to be able to live a perfectly ethical life. So one of the distinctions that people have made regularly with the Sermon on the Mount is that this is an idealistic way of living life, that this is life lived perfectly, and that therefore we don't have to try to achieve this because nobody can achieve this. I would agree that the Sermon on the Mount lays life out as it's supposed to be lived, that this is how a perfect life would be lived. But where I would disagree is in saying that because of that, we don't have to try. I don't think that Jesus is talking about salvation in the Sermon on the Mount. I don't think he's focused on heaven or hell. I don't think we're talking about works righteousness or anything like that. I think that Jesus is teaching his disciples how to follow him because this is the best way of living life and because this is how people will see a glimpse of the kingdom of God. And if we set aside Jesus' instructions, then we can't carry out the mission Jesus has given us as the church to let people know who he is. If we just set aside Jesus' instructions, and if we have all these carve-outs and we always say it's fine for us to ignore the words of our Lord, I don't think people will take the church too seriously. We have to remember that the church's fastest rate of growth was in the first few hundred years when Christians were taking this teaching literally. And those early Christians, they were the ones who were the closest to Jesus' life. The first few generations of Christians, they all took his teaching literally, saying, no, we are supposed to actually live out the Sermon on the Mount. Now, granted, it wasn't because they were trying to earn salvation, I don't believe. And granted also, they didn't do it perfectly, but they still tried. So for me, when I look at the Sermon on the Mount, what I see is Jesus outlining the best possible way to live life and 
In his language, it's really clear that he expects his followers to try, to not set his words aside. We will fail inevitably. We also will have moments where we're going to set aside Jesus' words, where we're knowingly going to violate them. That's going to happen, but it doesn't mean we're justified in doing so. And in those moments, we throw ourselves at the mercy of Jesus. And we just say, I didn't know how to do it better. I didn't know how to live life upholding your words in a way that would make sense. And we seek God's grace. That's my general take on the Sermon on the Mount. I think it's meant to give us a glimpse of what life is supposed to look like and we're supposed to strive for it. Not because we're trying to earn salvation or earn God's favor, but because it's a blessing, an invitation that God has given us. Again, though, we're not going to be able to fulfill it in the exact way we'd want. So there has to be grace here. And in the Gospel of Matthew, you can see that grace is important. Mercy is important. And that though Matthew has a positive view of the law, when law runs up against mercy, mercy wins in the Gospel of Matthew. The people who are punished the most in the parables in Matthew are the ones who don't display mercy. So, if we were to take the Sermon on the Mount and start shaming one another and start making each other feel horrible because we're not living up to this perfectly, well, then we're undermining the spirit in which Matthew and Jesus presented the Sermon on the Mount to us. One theologian that I come back to regularly when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount is a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And these days, I hesitate sometimes to recommend Dietrich Bonhoeffer because he has been co-opted by certain political groups in our own country these days. Um, For instance, there are certain biographies out there that I would not recommend. Um, The one that I will recommend is by a man named Charles Marsh. Um, If you are interested in Bonhoeffer's life, Charles Marsh has written a biography that I would recommend. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a German pastor in the 1930s. And he saw the rise of Nazism around him. And he looked around and he realized that there were people who were using Christian language, Christian symbols, and Christian concepts to do very unchristian things. He looked at the way the church was lining up behind the Nazis. And sadly, the German church did line up behind the Nazis by and large. And he looked at how the Nazis would use Christian symbols to support their own demonic agenda. And Bonhoeffer realized where the church had gone astray was that it started to ignore Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. Probably his most famous book, if not the most, one of the most famous books, I think it would be his most famous book, though, is called Discipleship or The Cost of Discipleship. And there's a lengthy reflection in that book on the Sermon on the Mount, and that's not an accident. When Bonhoeffer looked around and saw a bunch of Christians ignoring Jesus' words and doing demonic things, he tried to pull everybody's eyes to the Sermon on the Mount to see that reflection of God's character revealed there. 
to look at the way that Jesus invited people to live life. The Sermon on the Mount has power in it. It's funny because even though it basically outlines a way of living life that gives power up, there's a power in it because it brings us in line with God's will. And with Bonhoeffer's example, I think we see the power of the Sermon on the Mount. He did everything he could to pull people towards Jesus, to focus people on Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. And by doing so, he provided a Christian voice that was authentically Christian, that was focused on Jesus, and not one that was diluted by people putting their nation above God, putting their ideas of their country above God. So, when I come to the Sermon on the Mount, I feel a sense of reverence towards this teaching. I feel a sense of awe at this teaching. And we're not going to fulfill it perfectly. We have to recognize that. But we still need to strive to. We still should try. Because this is how people will actually give hope. So that's my take on the Sermon on the Mount and the history of interpretation. Next week, we're going to be focusing on the Sermon on the Mount as the new law. I've mentioned that this is my view of the Sermon on the Mount. And I've also mentioned that Calvin and Luther hated that view of it. Maybe not hated, but they, they did not like that view of it. So next week, we're going to be looking at that. What does it mean that this is the new law? What does that mean for our lives? So look forward to speaking with you next week. God bless you and have a good week.